Uh, welcome back to Pedagogy Non Grata. I'm really excited to have Alicia Smith, who's the president of the Ontario IDA, back on the podcast. Uh, she's officially our most had on guest on the show uh, ever, which uh, says a lot because originally I said as a podcast rule, we wanted people only who had PhDs. Um, but you're a parent advocate. Um, but what you're doing within the uh, literacy community for the science of reading, I think, is uh, greater than the impact of anybody else right now in Ontario. So that's pretty exciting to have you on the podcast, actually. Um, I'm having you on here to talk about the uh, Right to Read Inquiry, which, which came out last night. And you've come on the podcast to discuss it several times before. So the results are in. Uh, I'm going to just tell the listeners at this point in the podcast, if you haven't listened to the previous interviews with Alicia Smith, stop listening. Go back and listen to those because the rest of this interview is not going to make sense. But what were the results? Did, were they what you expected them to be? Oh, the results were fantastic. They were even more strongly worded than we were, than I had dreamed of, I would say. They awesome. were quite conclusive and they were um, very, very critical of the issues that we had identified as well within Ontario education. And they make some fantastic recommendations for going forward. So what are their core recommendations? So they structured the inquiry around um, five essential points. So maybe I'll, I'll briefly speak about those and then we can Absolutely. ask questions about, yeah. So they were looking at general classroom instruction. So curriculum and the approach to teaching all children reading, um, foundational reading skills starting in kindergarten. They were looking at uh, screening and assessment, how they're identifying children who require more intense instruction. They were looking at uh, intervention programs, who's getting them, when they're happening, are they effective? And then they were also looking at um, the effective and appropriate use of accommodations and also the role of psychoeducational assessments um, if they were happening when they're required. Um, so they made big recommendations on all of those categories and maybe you can ask some questions and we can go through them. Okay, so uh, I think from my perspective, the one that I find the most interesting, just full bias on the table was the pedagogy one. And I, I did go through it myself. So what are the main pedagogical um, recommendations that they're making moving forward? I have to say that was my most, the most interesting one for me as well. And the one that we've really been focusing on is that tier one general classroom instruction. Um, so of course they found that Ontario's curriculum is based on three queuing systems, balanced literacy and whole language. And that those approaches are not uh, evidence-based, not backed by scientific evidence. So they've made a number of recommendations, uh, including immediately removing all references to three queuing from the kindergarten to grade eight curriculums. It's actually in there every single year, grade one to grade eight, all three queues. So that will be going away, which is exciting to see. So um, yeah, they, um, they looked a lot in that section at uh, teacher training. Um, they also talked, of course, about classroom resources. Most of the reading programs in Ontario are based around systems of leveled books, um, the PM benchmarks or the Fontes and Pinnell system. So they talked quite a bit about the, the problems with those for early reading instruction. Um, and they made recommendations, of course, that we move in the direction of systematic and explicit instruction in phonemic awareness, phonics, um, morphology, all of the skills that you need for decoding words and that uh, students be provided with appropriate resources to make sure that they have the opportunity to practice those um, and to build fluency. Yeah, I, that, that for me was the most exciting, exciting part, 
right there. I was, I was so pumped when I saw that they're, they're talking about getting rid of three queuing. And when they're talking about um, implementing systematic, uh, explicit instruction of phonics, and it, it's not just that it's phonics, it's that we're talking about systematic and explicit instruction of phonics. That's so great. Uh, and it's those fundamental, fundamental foundational skills that we're going to be applying, uh, which is so awesome. And what about in regards towards their, their T3 or tier three instruction? What were the recommendations? Uh, so the recommendations there were, of course, that Ontario really evaluates the programs that are being used. Um, so they talked a lot about uh, reading recovery still being used in Ontario schools and LLI was mentioned a lot. Um, and they certainly recommended or, or said that schools need to stop using those programs and need to start using programs that do have an evidence base. Um, so they also made recommendations that the Ministry of Education should start vetting programs and providing recommendations to school boards and using some accountability measures to actually track what school boards are using because currently they don't do that at all. School boards make the choices on their own and it's it's highly variable from place to place what is being used in that tier three. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad. So did, did they actually call out LOI and um, um, reading recovery by name? They do, yes. <laughs> That's gotta be a devastating moment for some people for being completely honest. I think so, yes. Yeah, I saw an email today actually that one of the school boards, I won't name which one, sent out to their staff basically. Um, and it's a board I know that is heavily reading recovery focused. Um, so they sent out an email sort of warning staff about the inquiry findings and you might find this very upsetting and disturbing sort of thing. Um, so I thought that was interesting that they felt the need to sort of uh, trigger warn their staff before they see the report. <laughs> well, that's so funny. Uh, what a world we live in. Um, I was more thinking about from the, the financial perspective, you know, I, I, I don't think schools have any malicious intent in using these programs, but I, I think there, there is a whole lobbying industry out there that has been making money off of these programs for a very long time. And having an entire province talk about stop using those programs, that's going to be a huge hit to those pocketbooks. Yeah, I would agree. I, like the educators that are using those programs have the best intentions for sure. And sure reading recovery, sure especially, it's a it's a program that was designed in a way that really does support the teachers that are in that program. Like there's a lot of training, there's a lot of ongoing support and sense of community. So I can certainly see, I know a lot of reading recovery teachers who uh, really built their identity around being a reading recovery teacher, right? They feel like they're a part of that community. Um, so that is that makes it doubly difficult to hear criticism of something like that. For sure it does. And, and I think that is gonna be the, the biggest obstacle moving forward. It's just, uh, nobody wants to hear that what they've done in the past isn't science-based or that there's something that they could have been done that's better because it makes it feel like they've personally done something wrong. And I don't think there's any teachers out there who have done something wrong by, you know, using balanced literacy. I think where something has actually been done wrong, though, is, is the universities that have been providing training in literacy instruction that they knew was not science-based over the last 20 years. Because, you know, 20 years ago, we had the uh, NRP studies come out, which really clearly showed that um, phonics instruction was far superior to balanced literacy. And yet, over the last 20 years, we haven't seen that major shift to phonics yet. Uh, did the, the report do anything to address what's going on at the university level or the faculty level? Yes, there's quite a lot in there, actually. And it also addresses the leadership gap at the ministry level. So it makes the point, definitely, that our current language curriculum that specifies pre-queuing 
that language curriculum was put out in 2006. And that was three years after Ontario had its own expert reading panel, uh, which recommended systematic and explicit instruction in phonics as the most effective way to teach foundational word reading skills. So the report very much makes the, um, makes the point that the province of Ontario, the Ministry of Education is really who's failed here. You know, it's not the fault of teachers at all. Teachers have been doing what they were trained to do, following the curriculum they were provided with, using the materials that they were provided with. It's absolutely not, um, it's not the fault of classroom teachers. It is really a failure of leadership at the Ministry of Education. And they also point to the influence of the faculties of education very much. So there's a big section in the report on that. And they talk about how the, the faculties of education have had a very large influence on what's happening in the Ministry of Education. So it kind of goes back and forth, the responsibility um, between those two layers. That's fantastic. So what, what has been the reception so far? Well, I would say the reception from parents and teachers and uh, on the ground has been uh, jubilation. We're <laughs> very happy, quite, quite excited about this report um, from, that from that level. Um, within the universities as well, I would say there's mixed results. So um, certainly some of the faculties of education have issued uh, very negative statements about the inquiry. Um, but at the same time, there are faculty members, I think, within most of the universities that have issued statements in support, which is really nice to see as well. Um, there's a lot of professional organizations that have issued statements of support. Um, and even I saw yesterday the Catholic Trustees Association issued a statement of support. So I'd say generally it's being uh, received well in the public. The current government seems to be um, responding quite well. I was surprised, thrilled actually, that just a couple of hours after the report was announced yesterday, um, the government announced that they would be putting out a new uh, literacy curriculum, removing all references to 3Qing and balanced literacy entirely. Uh, and that is going to be ready apparently by September, 2023. So that's fast. <laughs> that's really fast for a curriculum document. Sometimes they spend like four years writing those things. That's amazing. Yeah, it is, it is a fast timeline. It was recommended by the OHRC that they expedite the process. Um, actually, I think the recommendation from the OHRC was that they remove the references to 3Qing from the existing curriculum immediately and then expedite the process of making the new curriculum. Um, but uh, 20, 2023 is, is, yeah, that's pretty fast for here. That's amazing. I love that they're removing that from their curriculum. Uh, have the union said anything about it at all? Has Equa or sorry, uh, ETFO put out any statements? Do you know? Um, I haven't seen anything from the unions yet, so I'm not sure where they've fallen down on that. Hopefully, they come out positive. I uh, hope so as well. <laughs> uh, it would certainly make it a tougher battle if it wasn't. Um, I so you, I take it you're you're cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm cautious. Yes, I'm cautiously optimistic for sure. We have a lot of school boards um, that have been looking at this ahead of the report and anticipating what's coming out. So that's really wonderful to see. And because there are a few boards that were really able to stick their neck out and um, start to train teachers and start to purchase new resources and, um, and are a little bit further ahead, I think that's really helping some of the other school boards to put this in context and see what they need to do going forward. Um, so that's really good to see. 
We've had really great feedback from the Catholic boards at this point. Uh, for those who aren't from Ontario that are listening, we have publicly funded Catholic schools here. So there's sort of two separate um, groups of public schools. And the, the Catholic um, Supervisory Officers Association um, has organized a webinar with us for this week where we're highlighting the Catholic school boards that have already started to make changes and implement teacher training and new assessment protocols and um, changes to general instruction. So we're really excited about that collaboration. Um, so that's nice to see as well. That's awesome. Uh, do you have any, was there anything in the, the report that didn't quite meet your expectations or live up to your, your hopes for the report? Do you have any concerns moving forward? No, I'd have to say I was quite thrilled. The whole thing, I was, I, I haven't finished reading the whole thing yet because the entire report is 500 pages and it just it's came massive. out. It's yes. massive. I'm going to admit, I, I haven't read the whole thing. Yeah, I've got through the executive summary and then the first two, three parts, but there's, there's the whole part about data collection at the end. And that's something that has been really interesting to me. So I, I'm really excited about thinking. Do you want to expand on the data collection thing? Is that going to be like teacher data collection or, or um, school board data collection they're looking for? So the, um, I, mostly school board data collection, student assessment data collection. So that's one thing in Canada, we don't have any statistics really around um, student outcomes that are long-term student outcomes. We don't track by socioeconomic status. We don't track by um, racial background any of those things. So it makes it very difficult to do educational research and really understand how policies and practices are impacting on student groups of students so that you can identify equity issues. So that was one of the large issues, um, large systemic issues that they identified. So I do know from the executive summary that they're making a lot of specific recommendations going forward on how we can do a better job of tracking student data. Um, so that is something that has always been particularly interesting to me. So I'm looking forward yeah, to that. Yeah, you helped uh, with the report on the EQAO reporting that um, was so problematic. It, is, did they address that at all? Or is, are they making any recommendations about how we collect EQAO data? Um, I, again, I'm not sure about that. They did reference our EQAO report in the section about the scope and scale of Ontario's literacy challenges, which was nice to see. Um, you know, I... They, they did talk about making sure that I did see that they talked about making sure that going forward, that assessments like that are more transparent. So the issue with our EQAO data for anyone listening who doesn't know is that we count students as passing a reading assessment, even if they've listened to all of the text and spoken their answers. Um, there's no requirement on the reading assessment that a student actually read the words or write down their answers. Um, and this is a practice that was ongoing in Ontario for 15 years, and it wasn't reported publicly ever until this fall. Um, and once those students were taken out of the assessment data, we could see that there hadn't been any improvement in Ontario's literacy results uh, in 20 years. Which makes no sense. And I, I just want to kind of draw attention to the irony of that statement here within the context of our situation, because I think the cited reason for removing those students was uh, equity to dyslexic students by not making dyslexic students go through the stress of uh, taking the EQO. And I have that on here, the president of the IDA or the International Dyslexia Association for Ontario commenting on why that's actually problematic for equity because then we have no way of tracking are those students succeeding, making improvements or, or going backwards in terms of their results, right? Yeah, it just, it gets down to ableism is what it really is. And there's that theme runs through this entire report that turn after turn when they were 
speaking with people in the Ontario education system, there's just this persistent notion that there's a big group of children that just can't learn to read. So we just we should just accommodate them. And that is really at the heart of, of a big part of the issue that's going on in Ontario and really a part of why this inquiry was launched because so many parents and families um, were having, you know, their child as young as grade two handed a Chromebook uh, with Google Read Write on it and being told, oh, well, that's good enough. They can understand the text with Google Read Write. We don't need to give them intervention at all. That's oh fine. God. And that's, yeah. that's not acceptable. And they made yeah. that clear. And the irony here too is I'm sure you would, you would recommend uh, read and write in specific contexts and situations for a dyslexic student, just not giving it to them instead of reading instruction. Yeah, absolutely. Like technology has a role to play. It has a place. I'm lost without it myself, but I can read because I, I was taught to read when I was a child. Yeah, and that's yeah. the important piece. Like we can't give up on teaching a child to read. We need to teach them to read. And then they still might use technology for longer passages, like longer assignments, certainly for writing and spelling, these sorts of things. Um, but we should still be also teaching them to, you know, handwrite and print and spell. Like these are all important skills. Yeah. I, I always think of it in terms of like, if, you know, a student has a diagnosis of something like dyslexia and they're in a social studies class, well, I'm not supposed to be marking their reading and writing ability in a social studies class or a science class. So it makes total sense if that's a really huge impairment for them to give them that access to that technology during that time period. But as soon as like reading class starts, uh, I want them to be practicing reading skills, not having a computer practice for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. Like certainly for testing in math or social studies, absolutely. But social studies is a reading class when you get down to it. Like so much yeah. of social studies is reading and writing. And again, if you're removing that entirely, that the kids aren't getting the practice that they need. Like we need to practice. That's how we get good at things, right? For sure. Well, uh, I, I'm actually done with questions for now. Do you have anything else you would like to say about this, uh, these results or about the inquiry? Um, I guess I would like to say that, yes, I am cautiously optimistic at this point. We certainly have a lot of work to do. If anybody is listening from Ontario, you can certainly help out and get involved. Um, the Literacy Alliance of Ontario has put together a website to just um, continue to post updates about the inquiry and um, as we're moving towards implementing those recommendations. So that website is righttoread.info and you can go there and stay up to date as we um, track the progress of Ontario in working towards implementing the findings of the Right to Read Inquiry. I was sharing that all over social media yesterday. Uh, <laughs> was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, all right. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. And where can uh, people find more about the IDA? Uh, at our website, idaontario.com. Super easy. All right, that's it for now, folks, and until next time. Thanks so much.